it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone, ladies. Well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on the Wednesday edition. We got Ralph Reed coming up shortly. Mr. If you want to know what's going on with this uh, runoff election, he held or played a major role in a fundraiser for Herschel Walker last night. He'll bring us inside that, the direction of the party, especially in light of the controversy around President Trump, the, the heat that's around in a good way, a good type of interest around uh, Ron DeSantis, the campaign that seems to be mounting for uh, Mike Pompeo and more. Uh, so those both will be on this hour. Carly Shimkus right after that. She'll be joining me on Friday night uh, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. So we'll give you more on uh, the, our stage show. I cannot wait. Hopefully you can join us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's been for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! It's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. And just like that, uh, that thirty, that goal in the 38th minute was enough to hold up for 90-plus minutes as the USA uh, goes gets out of the uh, of the group, setting into the knockout round of the field of 16. They ascend with that one nothing win over Iran. What are their chances versus the Netherlands Saturday? And why is this more than just a game? I'll explain. Number two. TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That means not only can they track your location, collect your keystrokes, but they could also censor your news. It's digital fentanyl in the sense that it's highly addictive. Uh, it's also, therefore, deadly. Uh, that is big tech, big problem. That was Mike Gallagher. He uh, evaluated it early. He's got that military background, too. Elon Musk is drawing more attention from the White House as he replatforms. Uh, Replatform suspended accounts and vows an investigation into the Hunter story. Plus, TikTok, it's time to rip it out of this country before it's too late. Number one. Earlier this month, Apple did the bidding of the Chinese government to crush domestic protests. Apple did this by disabling its permanent airdrop feature in China. Apple is now an active collaborator with China's murderous police state. What else can you say? Horrible, unacceptable, massive crackdown expected in China as protesters remain on the streets and the Biden administration looks away and Apple actually turns on the Chinese people. So let's build on that. So the Chinese have this uh, airdrop feature, which I've just digested in my life when you want to get a picture from somebody right next to you. Well, that's way to communicate if you're a protester in a surveillance state uh, quickly and not to be surveilled and geolocated. Well, it looks like without alerting anybody, the App Store, excuse me, Apple has modified that device where you only have a short period of time to be able to airdrop things, then it dissipates. Guess who benefits from that? The Chinese government. Apple is still an American company, right? Don't you think? So I will say this. I'm hardened to find out that so far with the world watching and countries like Canada speaking up, warning China not to crack down and give protesters their voice. I'm not kidding. Canada is doing more than us. Uh, they have not cracked down. In fact, China 
has lifted some of the COVID restrictions in the Guangzhou region. I'm sure I mispronounced that, but it goes G-U-A-N-G-Z-H-O-U. Also lifted lockdowns in half the number of districts that were locked down and stopped with a mandatory test in those areas, even though there's COVID uh, remnants there, which is a huge improvement over the last two and a half years. And always remember where this virus came from. Always remember that. It came from them. So when the Chinese are getting uh, beaten up, and if you see some of this video online, some of it is absolutely brutal, as expected. Uh, This regime has no conscience. They don't care about their people. Uh, As this happens, I guess China is somewhat intimidated because the whole world is watching, even though they formed concentration camps and, and just stole Hong Kong and broke their agreement, broke their treaty there. So Apple doing this, making things worse, is unbelievable. That did not elude Ron DeSantis. Cut two. If you look what's going on in China now, the CCP, uh, they have imposing the zero COVID lockdown policies. They've been doing it on and off for three years. And you have people in China that are really engaged in a noble effort uh, to protest, which is basically Leninist rule. So what is Apple doing with that? They are limiting the airdrop function of the protesters. So they are serving basically as a vassal to the Chinese Communist Party. Then on the other hand, here in the United States, what are they doing? They are trying to get Elon Musk Twitter off the App Store potentially, which would be a huge blow for free speech. Yeah, I would think so, because it would destroy Twitter. Why? Because he restored 62,000 accounts? Because he said his goal is to find out what exactly happened behind the scenes? They've kept the Hunter Biden story and the New York Post account suspended till after the election. Why does that have some of adventures to everybody all of a sudden? I mean, Twitter is no right wing organ. We have all these major companies from GM to Jeep deciding we're going to uh, Pfizer to pause on our advertising. At the same time, you have Twitter getting threatened, according to Elon Musk, to have its app taken off. That would destroy the company. They'd have to immediately file for bankruptcy. No question. Here's Mike Gallagher. Cut 10. Well, it's digital fentanyl in the sense that it's highly addictive. Uh, it's also, therefore, deadly. For all the reasons you laid out in your uh, monologue, uh, our, our youth are at risk of increased isolation, suicide, depression, anxiety. Those numbers are through the roof. And finally, uh, like fentanyl, the precursors date back to China, right? Uh, TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That means not only can they track your location, collect your keystrokes, but they could also censor your news. And increasingly, people use TikTok as a news source. So I kind of moved this story ahead quicker than I thought I would. But just to understand why big tech is under the headline of one of my big three, TikTok is a device which has the back end of getting all your information and bringing it back to China. We've known that. It was identified two years ago. I think it is the number one app, especially for young people. It's not popular to get rid of it. But when you have bipartisan looks at our national security, when you have Senator Warner as emphatic as Mike Gallagher, I think it's time to realize there needs collective federal leadership here to say, we'll create the same thing. We're America. But right now, we're not going to go with this Chinese company. I don't care if they have an American CEO uh, that handles – because right now, as usual, everything goes right through the Chinese Communist Party. So we can't do it. We're trying to make that tough decision. And then I just – in the back of my head, I keep thinking about President Obama sitting Indian-style in the office talking to some whack-job TikToker influencer about how they should go out and vote, knowing that most young people vote for Democrats. 
Instead of saying, I don't know if I should be seen with uh, supporting TikTok, they go, okay, fine. That's where the young people are. That's what I'll do. And that's fine if it's just another country, but not if that country is an enemy of ours that is using our information against us for the rest of our lives. I think we were smarter than that. So I'm going to come back and talk to Ralph Reed about the Republican Party, where they go from here, the need to win that seat if you're the Republicans, and make sure it's 50-50, not 51-49. It really matters. And we'll get into detail on that. And also talk about uh, what it means for the U.S. ascending in Qatar, a country that never should have had the World Cup, that is now the spotlight for a lot of controversial. For example, Neymar, one of the fine top five soccer players in the world, has said that Bolsonaro, the leader of the president of Brazil, was robbed of the presidency in illegal vote elections. He's supporting Bolsonaro. There are nationwide riots. Bolsonaro, Neymar is getting pressure from the current government. Don't come out against us. And he's saying, no, I am. And suddenly he's not healthy enough to play. Maybe it's an injury. But, you know, he's a fragile guy. Maybe that's it. Or maybe it's related. And then you have the Iranian situation, which I'll get into later. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot to go over. Carly Shimkus at the bottom of the hour. Ralph Reed next. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Ro. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, he's coming out because he knows Hershey is ready. And, you know, Obama is an actor. That's where uh, Senator Warnock is getting most of his money from, is Hollywood. You know, he's thinking that they can, they can buy this seat. But I want them to know that Georgia is not for sale. And I'm here to win this seat through getting more votes. I think that's the reason the turnout has got him nervous. And that's the reason Obama is coming back out. Because people are turning out to have their voices heard and their vote counted. It's hope so. Listen, I think he'd be a great senator. I think he's got a good, I think he also he has this agriculture background and business background as well as obviously an outstanding athlete. Ralph Reed joins us now. Faith and Freedom Coalition, author of For God and Country. And uh, Ralph knows all about Herschel. He was a part of a big fundraising effort last night. Uh, Ralph, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be back with you. So that was Herschel this morning with me, but last night he was with you. Tell me, uh, I know it's just a, it's a private fundraiser, but what did you notice? What did you see with, with Herschel as they sprinted December 6th? Well, he, uh, you know, look, he's peaking at the right time. You know, he's, uh, he's a former world-class athlete, and he's uh, really turned into a terrific candidate. And he understands that this is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And now we're in the last you know, really mile of what has been, you know, a 20 mile run for him. He's been at this for uh, about a year and five months. And uh, now we're in a four week 
burst to the finish, and uh, he's getting big crowds. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of momentum. Uh, he's peaking in terms of his performance. And the thing that I'm really excited about, Brian, and I caught your interview on Fox and Friends this morning, uh, he's, put, he's laying the lumber on Warnock. I mean, this guy did not have a glove laid on him for all, virtually all of the 2020 campaign. He ran ads with him walking a dog that wasn't even his and, uh, you know, uh, running as a reverend rather than as a senator. Well, now he's a U.S. senator. He's got a voting record, and that voting record is one he doesn't want to talk about and he can't defend. It's one for blowout spending, higher taxes, uh, voting against 87,000 additional uh, voting against border agents and 487,000 IRS agents, voting for abortion right. on demand up to the moment of birth. He doesn't want to defend it. Herschel's really hitting him, and he's also hitting him on this Columbia Tower scandal where it's now being exposed that he's a slumlord uh, who is evicting uh, poor people from a apartment building that he owns, an apartment building, by the way, where he's making people live in squalor with human waste in the stairwells, dead bodies, rats, it's infested. No, he says his church runs it. He says his church runs it. Well, no, it's run by a charity associated with his trust, with his church, and he is the head of that charity. And that charity, by the way, is right now in violation of Georgia state law because it has failed to properly register as a charity or file any of its required finance forms with the state of Georgia. So the state of Georgia has now asked him to get in compliance with those legal violations, but make no mistake about it. He owns this, and it's really hurting him. Ralph, uh, Ralph Reed, our guest. So, Ralph, you must have studied the numbers in the election in November. And you, I, I know Cub, uh, he was, uh, did not do well in Cobb County, did not do well young young voters or black voters. How have you attacked that? And what else have you discovered in the numbers? You're the expert. Yeah, look, he came up uh, 37,000 votes short out of 3.9 million. So uh, that's, that's uh, you know, less than 1%. And it's easy to make up, and let me tell you why. There were 200,000 voters who voted for Brian Kemp who did not vote for Herschel Walker. Uh, 12% of the people who voted for Kemp and Warnock say they're going to switch in the runoff and they're going to vote for Herschel. That's going to give Herschel an additional roughly fifteen to 20,000 votes that he didn't get in November. The other thing you have to remember is there was a libertarian candidate on the ballot who got 81,000 votes. They say they're going to vote for Herschel by a two-to-one margin. That's going to pick him up another twenty-five or 30,000 votes. And then finally, uh, there's uh, about 12 percent of the electorate that we would refer to as kind of none of the above type voters. They don't think highly of Herschel or Warnock, or they think highly of both. And they're breaking two to one for Herschel. And then finally, and most importantly, uh, we need a strong ground game. And uh, my organization, Faith and Freedom, is knocking on 400,000 doors. We're making a million get out the vote calls. We're putting nonpartisan voter guides in 5,000 churches. The evangelicals and the pro-lifers are going to come. And then lastly, Brian, Brian Kemp, who won by a landslide on November 8th, has thrown himself into this race. He's totally engaged. He headlined the fundraiser last night. He's doing ads. He's already done one rally with Herschel. Uh, I don't want to speak for the campaign. I'll let them announce it. But I think he's going to do more. And uh, it's a team effort. All this is going to give Herschel the momentum he needs 
to break the tape at the finish line on December 6th. So a couple of things. Number one, I'm, I'm surprised that Ron DeSantis hasn't been called in. As you know, that he's probably the most popular Republican right now. Right. Yeah, there, look, there have been a ton of surrogates that have come in. Uh, Ted Cruz has been here, Lindsey Graham, uh, Ronna Romney, Ben Carson was here yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, I think. I don't know what the TikTok is on all the different surrogates, but believe me, it's been a it's been almost an assembly line of, uh, you know, Senator Joni Ernst. And uh, I, forgive me, Brian, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but the newly elected senator from Oklahoma was here yesterday. All of the colleagues and, and the ones who can't make it, like DeSantis, who's tied up with budget and other issues, as I understand it, in Florida right now, he's doing fundraising emails and texts to his donors asking them to give. U.S. senators are giving money out of their campaign account. Everybody is coming together. Everybody but, but Ralph, you are being outraised, as you mentioned, two to one. I mean, why? how is that? Look, the ActBlue platform uh, has 36 million small donors on it to win Red's 12 million. That has to be fixed, or these candidates are going to continue to be outspent, Brian, not two to one, but three, four, five, six, seven to one. We have to fix that. We can't fix it, however, in six days. Understood. we got to win this election. Let me assure you, Herschel is adequately funded. He's up on TV. They're in the mail. They're sending the text. I mean, we saw with Trump, he was outspent, and that didn't work, and no one ever thinks that he was uh, – that was the problem of 2016 or 2020. So, well, uh, there's that. And then the other thing, Brian, that's the, that, that this is a runoff election. You can run TV ads until the cows come home. Yeah. There's only 1% of the electorate that's persuadable anymore. It, this is all a turnout game. So it's all about getting your vote out. And that's precinct work. It's grassroots work. It's get out the vote. It's these rallies Herschel's doing in key counties, including Cobb County, which you mentioned. He's going to every key county where he needs to overperform between now and December 6th. And he's going in there and doing a rally, getting local media. And trust me, I've been at these rallies. Cars and trucks are driving by honking. There's hundreds of people. There's excitement. And in a small county like my home county of Stevens County up in northeast Georgia, two, three hundred people at a rally, they end up talking to their friends. You're reaching two to three thousand voters that one day. So, so Ralph Reed, our guest. Ralph, real quick, the, 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 the impact is real. The Democrats will have the majority because they have the vice president. But if they get control of all the committees, they'll have subpoena power without permission. There's going to be no more co-chairmanships. This is a big deal if you guys lose this seat. It's a very big deal for three reasons. The first is the one you mentioned. Right now, the committees have to have equal members, 10-10. So you can't issue a subpoena. You can't launch an investigation. You can't report a nominee that's a radical out of committee to the floor. And there have been a number of Biden nominees, including judges, Neera Tandon, who was uh, nominated, I believe, to be head of OMB. There's a number of nominations that are held in limbo. If we go 11-9 on these committees and if we have overwhelming Democratic majority budgets and staff, they will absolutely run roughshod over us. The second reason is it gives us a leg up on 24. The 2024 Senate map is much more gotcha. in our favor. That's true. It, it helps you uh, trying to get it all back in two years. Ralph Reed, thanks.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. Carly Shimkus is here. Told you, just like I promoted. She's here. Carly, fresh off to Fox and Friends first and Fox and Friends. Yeah. Are you doing outnumbered today? I am. Uh, what are you doing? Is this, is this smart of you? Uh, well, are you working too hard? I think it's nice that people ask me to be on their shows. Really? Just, are you honor. hydrated? Are you drinking? <laughs> uh, yeah, I try and drink a lot of water throughout the day, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I do. I do. I do. I have a, um, one of those plastic big plastic water bottles that gives you little affirmations and words of encouragement on the side. Really? Each time you drink a bit, like it, you get down to the line, it says, you got this. Really? Do you need that? Three more ounces. It's like, good job. You're staying hydrated. So, so a couple of things. Do you ever do the Peloton? Oh, they're yeah, very into I'm positive ve- reinforcement. Okay. So I'm very excited about my new Peloton adventure because, um, I just joined a new gym that has Pelotons. I don't, have one of my own, although once I get a house and become a real girl, right? Uh, I do want a Peloton, but they have Pelotons, and I love, I've done it a couple times, and I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's good if you want to break up uh, from running and doing other stuff. Yeah. Uh, every day gets a little much, plus I, I kind of, I, I have, I think they got to just make a more comfortable seat. Have you ever done, uh, yeah, right, I know, the, the, the spin seats aren't that great. What's the other spin class that people do? Uh, it's the really popular one with the loud music. What's it called? Soul Cycle. Have you ever done Soul Cycle before? No, I haven't. <laughs> this is a really embarrassing. It's very story. dark. I cried the first time I did Soul Cycle. You did? Why? <laughs> because I was so inspired. Right. I, got, I got emotional. The woman was like, "You can do anything." I'm like, "I know, I can." I, can. I got right. a little weepy. Did you actually answer? In, not like oh, out in your loud, head. Oh, but out in loud. my head, I was like. So you're going to be seeing Pat on Friday night. You're going to meet. I know. Pat. I'm excited to meet him. Right, and Pat's wife owns Spin City, which is their own spinning gym. I which... love cycle classes. That's my wheelhouse of workouts. So if we get, you know, I know you're looking for a house, but if we get you to my town, yes, I will get you five percent off a membership. <laughs> oh, that's great. Right. I won't turn that 5%. down. Five percent. Right. I'm okay with five percent. Right. And the next year it goes up to normal price. So it's only the introductory <laughs> offer. Okay, uh, well that's um okay. That's right. fine. It's not as enticing what as What can a I set. do to be a ten percent friend? Right. I don't know. Okay. I don't think it's possible. Uh, <laughs> I think you'd have to start years ago. Got and it. and plus you haven't even met Pat yet. So that's key. Uh so what else what were we were talking about of substance? How uh how odd is it? Uh that there's half these people in the country, I think most of the people in the country understand we're in the World Cup, but half the country are pretending as if they still don't like soccer. Like, why can't people be more accepting of a sport that they're late to? Do you find, I mean... I, I hear some subtle comments about not liking soccer every now and then, and right. I do think it's strange. Soccer was like the most in, um, important sport in my town when I was growing what up. What town is that? Uh, Long Valley, New Jersey. Football was big too, but everybody loves soccer. You played soccer. I did. I mean, played is like a really. What do you mean? That's a bit of a stretch. I mean, I I put on the shin guards. Oh, <laughs> wasn't the greatest. Was you, was I your, did wreck. You did reckless. Yeah. Your parents go and watch you. Yeah, oh yeah. They really? brought the orange slices. So they were actually. I had I had a lot of fun. Uh, yes, I. But I did run cross country a little bit more successfully. Um, but yeah, I no. I think soccer is. I would love for my children to play soccer, um, or really any sport. But I am very much into the World Cup, and um, I watched the obviously the U.S. U.K. game, the U.S. England game. 
Um, and I thought about you the whole time. When they died, I was so excited for you. Yeah, no, because I'm American. Well, the charity thing, too. So yeah. I was excited for the charities. <laughs> because, I, because I was able to be Pierce Morgan. Yeah, yeah. So, but Folds of Honor, and what was the other charity that he donated Tons to? Thomas of Towers. Yeah, how cool is that? That, that he is paid cool. up, yeah. But I know the Iran game. I'm very, I mean, I, I passionately rooted for the U.S., but I really feel bad for the Iranian players as right. well. Right. I'm going to get to that first. First, okay. let's hear uh, Christian uh, Pulsic, uh, his goal, cut 17. Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is stuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic scores. Might have paid the price. And as the ball comes across, it's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. And he runs right into the goalkeeper at the end of this, but lays it all on the line for his team and for his country. So he ends up with a bruised uh, abdomen and pelvis. Yes. Uh, we'll see. He went to the he hospital. Has, he has a contusion on his uh, pelvis, so like a big internal bruise. But he said on social media that he's going to be able to play. But how good? I know. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, he is Will the you star watch player. This game? Um, it's 10 o'clock Saturday. At 10. That's what um, my baby shower is at noon. Are you day. going? I, I will be in attendance, yes. Oh, you're going to you gonna go do the baby shower anyway? My own baby shower? Yeah. <laughs> you know the game is scheduled at 10 o'clock. Well, I didn't know that until yesterday. Uh, is it? Do you have their number? Do you have an email? It's like a group email that you could say it starts at 1? <laughs> you know what my husband has started to do? What? Especially because, you know, it's college football season, is we'll go out to dinner, um, but he'll have his phone propped up like that, like, you know, and he'll be watching college football on his phone. He's that into it. Oh, and he's... What has what that done for your relationship? I mean, I don't mind depending on the restaurant. Like, if it's a sports bar, it's fine. Right. But if you're like, listen, I'm here. But Do if it's have... like a nice romantic restaurant, I'm she... like, Pete, this is a big stretch right. here. You've like got to put it away. You know some older couples saying they're having problems. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, how could you not have anything well, to because, talk about? And then he's like, Carly, no, I want you to watch it with me. Right. I'm not falling for yeah, any of that. But he... Okay, I'm so sorry. I, don't, I know you want to talk about the other football, but... Um, American football. He's a huge Michigan fan. And did you? How, do you have any interest in the Michigan? Oh, yeah, well, I saw that game. I saw it. I mean, that was that was unbelievable. You went last year. I went to the um, Big Ten championship. Oh. I surprised him with tickets, and that was a really cool experience. Yeah, Kevin okay. Ward is the Big Ten commissioner. I'm losing uh, your interest. I'm, no, no, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'm happy for because he went for yes. the longest time. He couldn't okay. do it. Now it's two years in a row, and they're the second ranked team in the country. Here is what happened on the 45th minute. Cut 18. Final seconds here. McKinney. It's going to be a tight onside decision because Way is in behind. And Way is in off the post. The flag comes up for offside. It would take video review. So they had to go up to the box to video review, and it stood offside. You understand offside? Yes. So that was what happened. So they ended up winning. But this is to your point. Iran had the courage to not sing the national anthem in, in homage to all the protesters standing up for women's rights in Iran and everything else that they don't have. And the 22-year-old that was killed, and they said she had a heart attack. Meanwhile, <laughs> she was beaten to death. Yeah. So these are protests like we've never seen in Iran before, so they didn't sing. Then they said to them, we're going to threaten your family unless you change your behavior. Here's what Morgan reported from uh, Qatar yesterday, Cut 21. It would certainly unusual because if they go back to Iran, you know, they can certainly face um, and, and the regime said it. The regime said that they were going after their families uh, for anybody who um, uh, for anybody who, you know, 
protested or did not sing the national anthem. They said that they would torture and even imprison their families. So it had to be difficult for those Iranian uh, players to play today, seeing, you know, and knowing that their families were at stake for imprisonment or torture. So she went to the game, yeah. She went to the game, and then she came back, and they said, okay, if you, if the, all the protesters, man, saying the players sold out the protesters by caving. But what are you supposed to go back well, so and find out your mom's in jail? I know. So there was – exactly. So there was – there's this video of the uh, Iranians and it pans to all the players during their national anthem. And you can see them, you know, subtly – Barely. Yeah, really barely mouthing the words to their national anthem. And you look at their faces um, – and you just feel for every single one of them. You know, they're young, they're handsome, they're trying to live out their dream. They're in a different country. You almost feel like they're in sort of a safe zone because they're not in Iran. And then you think they have to go back. And what is life going to be like for them? And it's so sad. And they were brave for standing up and uh, supporting the protest. But it just also makes me uh, really proud to be an American and um, so grateful that, you know, we live in this country where you you are allowed to protest and speak out and it'd be something that's encouraged. Um, so I, ju- I do feel bad for them. And you just have to wonder what their future is like. I mean, what if they disappear? Uh, or they just say, yeah, we're, we're taking your family if you try to defect, if yeah. you try to say anything or if you come out. So nothing good has happened. That regime's got to be overturned. And I just wish our current uh, Biden administration would come out strongly in support of the protesters. Barack Obama came out and said, the regret I have in 2008, I didn't say more. I thought I'd make myself the target and America the problem if I spoke up, but I should have spoken up. And Joe Biden still says nothing. I know. Uh, yeah. And it's we're, he- we're seeing the same exact uh, silence when it comes to the protests in China right now. And I mean, I, I, John Kirby was on the show. I'm sure you, I mean, you did a great, you always do a great job uh, holding the administration's feet to the fire on that front. But for John Kirby to say the line that the administration and the president doesn't want to speak for the Chinese protesters, speak for them. I mean, you're, what are you, you would talking be, about? be speaking with them. The message should be the exact same message and name me one Chinese protester who wouldn't want the American president to speak out on on, you know, a, a TV or anything and say, yeah, you guys are right. There should be change in China. This is oppressive. So you, who you wouldn't would, want that. But you Justin Trudeau with all he's the yeah. horrific leader of Canada. Uh, he says, we're going to continue to ensure that China knows where we stand for human rights. We stand for the people who are expressing themselves. We also want to make sure that China and places around the world are respecting journalists and their ability to do their job. How hard would it have been for the president to say that? Zero critics after so that. So why do you think the president is taking such a soft stance? Is it because, you know, the Democrats wanted covid lockdowns as well is it because i don't i don't think it's only i actually think it's more of a weak foreign policy you know peace through appeasement versus peace through strength type mentality that the biden administration well, is they were so supposed fond to be of. put human rights first i know trump never said he's doing that yeah. much to the uh the chagrin of cnn and all these others That's so true and a lot of people are saying well i think this is really wishful thinking color me skeptical this could be the start of change in China. We we see we've been through this before. Do you remember the um, protests in Venezuela in 2019 when those were taking place, and we were hoping for some sort of change in Cuba, some sort of change? What happens is that 
you know, their dictators do what dictators do. They crack down more. They jail people. They surveil people. People get afraid. And then the protest ends and nothing changes. And that is why it's so important for the president to speak out. Has he even made one single statement on the Chinese protest yet? Or has it all been Not John one. Kirby? It's all yeah, been get him in front of a camera and have him say something. I, I am standing with these Chinese protesters and then say if there's any Chinese a communist official who participates in violence against these protesters, that guy's going to get sanctioned. Help them navigate the social media censorship that's going on there as well. There are things that can be done today. And that will be the first, I believe, for China, because we've done that to Russia and others before, went after their personal wealth. But it'll be very interesting for us to do that to China. And they came out with a blistering statement against us about gun violence. So here we are trying to soft pedal, and they blast us about fentanyl, of all things, that they're providing to the cartels that are coming into our country. Right, I know. One of the Chinese officials posted a tweet and said that America – is killing its people with fentanyl, which, like you said, it's China's fault, COVID, China's fault, and guns, and China's just trying to keep people safe. So they have no problem. That government has no problem criticizing the United States. It's very strange how quiet we are being on this front. It's sickening. Uh, When we come back, more with Carly Shimkus. Who knows? We might even find out if Carly needs to know more. But we also got to get you to weigh in the other big stories of the day, which you kind of went into a little bit. But I also want to talk about big tech. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about that? This is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. Really? They're keeping an eye on the press secretary on Twitter? Really? Since when? Carly Shimkus is here. (laughs) Uh, Fresh show Fox and Friends first and Fox and Friends. So now between that... And the scrutiny that the president says are under, and now that people like uh, Tim Cook are are evidently threatening to take Twitter uh, out of the Apple store, Carly, why is everyone so concerned about Twitter? Well, I'm so glad that you played that clip because that is one of the craziest things I've heard all week. Karine Jean-Pierre just casually saying that the government is keeping a close eye on a private company that people use to communicate And the fact that she was prompted to say that by a reporter who was basically it was the most leading question. What are you going to do about misinformation? Are you kidding me? I mean, that is so close to a First Amendment violation. Uh, The government has no business keeping a close eye on any private companies, especially communication platforms. That sounds like something China's in the news a lot lately. It sounds like something coming more from their country than ours. Yeah, so Apple is willing to work with the Chinese government but worried about Elon Musk. On Monday, Musk accused Apple of considering retaliation against Twitter by threatening to remove the social media company from its app store. Uh, also, they noted that, uh, that Twitter, that Apple has reduced its advertising on Twitter. Pfizer reduced it. Chipotle have, uh, reduced it. GM, Jeep, everybody's reducing their advertising revenue going into the platform. Why? Because they reinstated 62,000 banned accounts? Yeah, he, they re, they did the 62,000 banned accounts. Also, did you know that Twitter reversed their COVID-19 misinformation policy? So all these – did you know that? Oh, it's crazy. They So um, that just happened. 
Um, so all these companies are saying we want nothing to do with Twitter anymore. And my big question is, what are you so afraid of? I mean, if you don't like what you see on social media, then respond to it, speak out, elevate your speech, have a better idea. And that better idea will float to the service as opposed to just criticizing somebody who wants free speech or calling for more speech to be shut down. And then um, this whole thing about Apple possibly kicking Twitter off the Apple App Store reminds me of Parler. I mean, they successfully did it to Parler. Destroyed it. Much smaller company. Yeah. Uh, So Twitter, they're going to have a much more challenging time probably taking Twitter off. And by the way, you know Mark Meckler? He was the interim CEO of Parler. We had him on Fox & Friends first. And he said something pretty interesting that Elon Musk is considering starting a, a, a phone you know, creating a cell phone, which would make him a direct competitor with Apple. And then if Apple kicks Twitter off the Apple App Store, then it would be trying to hurt a competitor, which is against the law. So this could be a really big and very interesting legal situation. Right. I mean, he wants an everything app. He wants you, Twitter, to be part of an app. They can get you your electric car, get you into space. Uh, that tunnel, whatever he calls it, the boring, the boring network, yeah. which is going to make tunnels underneath. Uh, <laughs> He's got having... so much going on, like you forget all the companies. Right. I just hope that when it comes to Twitter, that he has a plan because he gutted so much of the workforce. I hope that he has talked to somebody because he, how did he know who could leave? How does he know yeah. who the bad people are? I know. How I know. Did... You just you just think, man, this guy's brain is working on an, another level. Maybe he's. I, I, I'm pretty sure he does have a plan, um, but I do wonder what it, what the future is going to be like because you have the most powerful company right. in Apple uh, against him and also the government watching him. I mean, what does that mean? So Friday night, I'm going to keep you up at night because you're going to be joining me on stage at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. Are you excited to be on stage in front I'm of nervous. 800 to 1,000 people? I am nervous. Are you really? Yeah. I think you're going to be great. Really? Yeah. And it's just the beginning because maybe we'll go end up going on the road doing 50, 60 dates a Ooh, year. Could we do a circus act? Well, yeah. You mean if I learned to juggle or had yeah, some type of skill? something like that. Right. A lot of people develop the skill and then trapeze. they think about it. I think you should do the tra- so, trapeze. So book the dates. Yes. Get the trapeze bars. Yes. And then learn how <laughs> to do it. I'm very excited to hang out with you on Friday night and see everybody in New Jersey. And if you want some VIP tickets and meet before, you're going to be for the VIP, right? Yeah. I'll yeah, be there for the whole time. Just go to com and just click on tickets December 2nd. Uh, you will not regret it. Maybe the best night of your life. Love it. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Right here from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. Uh, we're going to be joined by Martha McCallum this hour and Ben Dominich. Uh, so I look forward to having them on. And we have a lot to talk about. Keep in mind, too, if you ever can't catch the show live, we got the podcast. Uh, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Or you can get it wherever you get the podcast. Just put in my name. We're getting so many downloads. So it's, it's uh, flattering. So I'm glad you're doing that. Keep in mind the President of the United States today. Uh, the first family and second family will attend the National Christ- tree, Christmas Tree Lighting. And guess what's happening at Rockefeller Plaza in New York City? The iconic tree. 
I think it's 92 feet high. It's 95 years old, 82 feet high, 95 years old. It'll be lit up tonight. So with our tree going right before Thanksgiving and this tree going out, it's official. We can listen to Christmas music. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Justin McKay, Des making a big run. It's been for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pull it back. Scores! It's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. Uh, there you go. The emotion U.S. ascends to the knockout round after a grinding one nothing victory over Iran. What are the choices and what are the chances against the Netherlands Saturday? And why is this uh, game more than just a game in this tournament bigger than just a tournament? I'll explain. Number two. TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That means not only can they track your location, collect your keystrokes, but they could also censor your news. It's digital fentanyl in the sense that it's highly addictive. Uh, it's also, therefore, deadly. Okay, there you go. And that is, of course, Mike Gallagher. Uh, Big tech, big problems. Elon Musk is drawing more attention from the White House as he replatforms suspended accounts and vows an investigation into the Hunter story and why it was shelved two years ago. Plus, TikTok, it's time to rip it out of of this country before it's too late. Number one. Earlier this month, Apple did the bidding of the Chinese government to crush domestic protests. Apple did this by disabling its permanent airdrop feature in China. Apple is now an active collaborator with China's murderous police state. Uh, That, of course, is Tucker Carlson, and he has it right. Massive crackdown expected in China as protesters remain on the streets and the Biden administration looks away. And Apple actually turns on the Chinese people. I'll explain about that. Turn on the Chinese people, and here's why. Evidently, with the thing they do in protests, especially in surveillance states like China— What they do is have airdrops. So an airdrop immediately to tell your location or send a message that disappears was right to your phone. It doesn't go up into the cloud and come down. So Apple has suspended that feature. It lasts about a minute. So therefore, it's ineffective if you want to get word out and have a protest communicated to accurately and adequately and legally or illegally. It doesn't matter. So the brutal crackdown is happening. There is some indications that China is actually giving in and releasing some of the COVID mandatory testing to go everywhere and will weld you into your room if you test positive and take your kids away. Believe it or not, that's a policy not too popular, even in China, and people are willing to get arrested because of it. But the fact that Apple is playing a role stuck out with Tucker Carlson last night. Listen, cut one. Earlier this month, Apple did the bidding of the Chinese government to crush domestic protests against the Communist Party there. Apple did this by disabling its permanent airdrop feature in China, and so far only in China. That's the only country in which it's disabled. So why did Apple disable that feature in China? Well, because that feature, permanent airdrop, allows iPhone users to communicate directly with one another without using the Internet or cellular networks, both of which, in a totalitarian state like China, are controlled by the government. And that means that without permanent airdrop, it's effectively impossible for freedom-minded citizens to organize with one another. They're powerless. In other words, and again, this is not an overstatement, Apple is now an active collaborator with China's murderous police state. I, I don't think he's exaggerating. And it's the same thing that stuck out to me when I'm hearing about all this. 
And I know Apple makes their products there. But guess what? China needs Apple, too. They have thousands of people that work there. They're the ones with the technology. They should have been taking out their manufacturing years ago when it, obviously this regime was getting more and more impossible to deal with. But evidently they're not. And that's why I think it's so despicable that this American company is doing what it's doing. At the same time, why are people giving Apple a pass and they're giving Apple a pass, but at the same time, they're all over Elon Musk? Elon Musk comes in and says, I'm straightening this place out. They don't like the way he's doing it. The fact is that he's uh, replatforming a lot of people, tens of thousands, many of which have millions of followers bringing him back in. The advertisers are beginning to boycott and do a wait-and-see attitude, not because they have uh, – not because they – necessarily think there's negative things on Twitter, I don't think that they want to be part of an organization that's an outlier, that's not in bed with Instagram, Facebook, uh, everything Google-related, as well as Apple and AT&T and all that. He's going to be somebody that can run by on his own engine, and it bothers him. That stood out to Greg Gutfeld about what's happening because Elon Musk said on Monday that he's getting indications that Apple might drop him from the App Store. And the way the country is set up right now, if you're not in the App Store, you can't exist. Cut 13. When you're used to preferential treatment, you always complain when the fields are finally level. That's what you're seeing. With Twitter changing, the media is losing their lie insurance. Twitter was to the media what cow farmers are to McDonald's, what college football is to the NFL, what KFC is to Joy Behar's ass. (laughs) It was the assembly line of approved opinions to bolster their ideologies. Hmm. I don't know about the Joy Behar thing. That wasn't in the verbatim, but that was an interesting thing, and we can't be proven. But I, there's no one that could put up a strong argument against it, so we'll see how that goes. So what they're talking about, too, is Democrats being treated like royalty on other platforms and not on this platform. And that is why it looks as though, and we have that cut again, Eric, from the press secretary, was actually asked about Twitter, and they are actually looking at Twitter to possibly, I don't know, Regulated? Taken away from them? Listen. The researcher at Stanford who says that this is a critical moment, really, in terms of um, ensuring that Twitter does not become a vector for misinformation. I mean, are you concerned about that? This is something that we're certainly uh, keeping an eye on. Really? Keeping an eye on? What are you keeping an eye on? It's nothing to do with you. one 408 They're putting people back on the platform. They're not... Taking people away. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls and also welcome in Mark and Martha McCallum. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Got a few minutes here uh, with Martha McCallum. And then we're going to be joined by uh, Ben Dominich and maybe more surprises. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. So uh, a couple of things. You're going to be you, – you have a big show coming up today, but you're doing like nine things for it. This is your day in which you, you circulate. <laughs> I do a lot. Uh, Wednesdays I get to hang out with you, Stuart Varney. I go do um, Bill and Dana's show for a little bit. And uh, I'm going to co-host Outnumbered today. Vice President Pence is on. So oh. we're looking forward to talking to him today. And uh, then we'll do the 3 o'clock show. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt that he's running. No, I, I think I think that he 
you know, I, I would say he feels that he has always wanted to do this, that he wants to do it, um, and that there's, you know, a potential lane for him. So there's a number of people who believe that at this point, and uh, it's going to be a very interesting couple of years as we watch the 2024 process. Do you see that Governor DeSantis' book coming out in February? Yes, he does. Also, on Friday, uh, he'll be launching his first ads in Iowa. Wow. So... Why would the governor of Florida be launching? (laughs) Have you put everybody behind the scenes? Why would he? Um, You know, uh, we'll see. It's just, you know, these are the interesting things to watch. When you you see where the money starts going, and you're right, everybody who wants to run for president puts a book out. We saw Tim Scott's book come out last year. I think he's another really interesting person to watch in this. But one of the biggest factors is going to be whether or not there's a coordination effort at some point in this process to say what's the best – route to put someone forward who can who can you mean win. like the democrats did with biden or yes or do they want to you know have this sort of dispersed process through the primaries that um, kill or be killed yeah kill or be killed and that leaves you know probably a clear lane for the former president if that if there's a lot of people running so right though we'll uh, that'll be in other words they coordinate to stop bernie sanders on the left because bernie That's sanders right. was clearly going to win Right. And he might have been clearly went in 2016, too. Yeah. So they could that DNC director and Hillary Clinton. And then we watched everyone collapse with Jim Clyburn going, yeah, nobody wants a socialist who's in his 70s and never really accomplished anything. So we're going to go with Joe Biden, who's in his 70s and never really accomplished anything. And we'll just use uh, him and his agenda. And he'll we'll pretend as if he is someone who's going to consolidate power and bring everyone, to, everyone together. I think it's hard to, to say he's brought everyone together. Democrats, he has. No, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. He's not brought everyone together. The the thing I find fascinating post midterm is that all of the flaws that uh, people on the left were seeing in this president have suddenly poof disappeared. You know, now they're planning for his reelection. They're starting to have momentum behind that. So all of their concerns seem to have gone out the window. And yet you have an increasingly, which I know you watch very closely, an increasingly dangerous world developing. And we need to see how this president responds to that because so far what we've seen is a real reluctance from the podium or in interviews to call out China for its behavior, to call out Iran for its behavior. Um, it's calculated to be sure, and it's a long-term game, but it raises a lot of questions, I think, and, and I do believe we're in an increasingly dangerous world. Remember Cuba had unrest about a year ago. The president didn't say a word on that. But yet, I have to call 1-800-MADURO, Nicholas Maduro. I I like to know one redeeming quality that he displayed uh, since he took power over the cancer-stricken Chavez and takes over that country and basically tells Russia, Iran, and China, have your way with me. Have your way with my country. I don't care about my people. But we are now having Chevron over there drilling. It sends an absolutely terrible message around the world that we are so reluctant to drill here at home. And they go to that fallback answer every time about the 900 leases that exist. They have to be permitted, those leases. That's not an easy process. The bureaucracy in this country that surrounds the oil industry is so thick, and it's thick for a purpose. It's thick to discourage energy companies in America from even going down that road and beginning to drill. We are so lacking in refineries. It, it is, we are, it's, it's great to envision a green future. We are just not there yet. So you have to have overlapping strategies where you're encouraging. We should be taking regulation off of these drilling companies to make it easier for them. We should be saying to them, look, we realize that we have discouraged your industry for a long time. It was a mistake. We need to do this in a coordinated way that, that revs up green energy for the future, but gives us what we 
need now and helps your companies to convert, you know, in the next decade. But we need to support you in the in the need to drill. We can't be doing this through Venezuela. It's yeah. an absolute travesty. But we are. We are. Dirty. And, it's and a dirty gonna... oil project, as the Wall Street Journal called it, um, and secretive and absolutely so Absolutely this is what he keeps saying. There are 9,000 leases that are unused. So part of it is the permitting, the environmental, uh, and then, of course, the pipelines and then the, the money needed when you're telling everyone to stop investing in uh, taking all the major investment firms to stop investing in anything fossil fuel related. So federal acres leased. I asked the brain room this. Can you give me an idea of what these leases are? They go, we couldn't give you the leases where they are originated, but we can tell you this. Federal acres leased. Trump, 4.4 million over the course of four years. Obama, 7.25 million. Bush, 12.7. Do you know what uh, Biden has? 130,000. The least amount of leases given out since Truman. And that was the advent of offshore drilling. So they began to surge in different directions. So it's not even close. And we already caught him on camera saying we stopped all drilling. So for for Admiral Kirby to go up there and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we gave the permits. They don't want to drill. What am I supposed to do? He knows what goes on. Of course he knows. So how, a, does, how does he go up there and do this guy's a military officer? You know what? I, I feel for him. I do. Uh, but he because he's in a very job. tough position. He's in a very tough position uh, to, to defend this. And that's why I think that this administration in this moment needs a change of policy. I think a lot of things will rest on whether or not this president decides he wants to run again and when we get that that message from him. And what he really cares about. I mean, look at what's happening in Europe. They, they're cold. OK. In Ukraine, they're freezing. In, in, I mean, when you look at the images from Ukraine, the flow of natural gas in this world is something that we can dramatically help to relieve. And these companies have been discouraged to the point where we see, you know, real devastation happening in parts of the world. It's, it, it, it's you know, this whole argument of compassion just rings so hollow when you look at what these choices actually manifest around the world. You know, it, get real. Open your eyes. Look at what's going on. Look at what we could do to alleviate this pain, not only here at home, but around the world. So I asked, I was on with Adam Kroll last night um, for uh, the paperback that's out, and Adam Kroll was doing a podcast, and he just said, I said, Adam, I got to ask you a question. I go, what do you say every day when they see, what are your friends? Most of your friends are Hollywood celebrities. Mm-hmm. I go, what do you say every day? What do they say when they, it's overrun with homeless, when they see this, uh, the taxes, the way everything was locked down, the way the kids were kept from school? The traffic is like the good news. So they say, people say they people have to hit bottom first. And yeah. he goes, my no, whole that, thing has got to hit bottom first. So that's what we need. No pain, we, no gain. So remember, yeah, everyone's got electric cars. <laughs> Yeah. Can't plug them in until six o'clock at night. Right. Everyone's got uh, everyone's got uh, heated by solar panels. Not quite effective yet. We're going to make sure they work. So people have to freeze. They have to sweat. They have to see this. Everything fall apart and people leave their state in order to hit bottom in order to say we need massive change. That's pretty sad. No, that that's absolutely. It's like a, it's like help you know, curing an alcoholic or curing alcoholism, which is you know hitting bottom, tough love. It's a tough love program coming from the left to wean America off of oil. We've been hearing about it for for a long time. I mean, we you know we heard about it from Hillary Clinton, we heard about it from Barack Obama. We've seen the changes that have happened. So you can't just turn those spigots on overnight. You have punished these companies to the point where they understand that in order to make money, support their employees and turn something for their shareholders, they have to operate in a very different way. You mentioned about scooping up the homeless. Suddenly the mayor believes, we don't have a police commissioner, I guess. 
The mayor believes we had to start scooping up the mentally ill who are on our streets. And when they refuse to be committed, they're going to forcibly commit. That's called the old policy from Rudy Giuliani. The homeless unit was disbanded from the NYPD because too many people are getting tossed on moving trains. Yeah, You know, this is um... We're stabbed. <laughs> Yeah, th- this is very interesting, this policy that's coming from Eric Adams now, where they're going to start to involuntarily remove people from the streets who are who appear to be me- mentally ill. You're gonna, this is going to turn into an enormous battle. I already got some uh, emails last night saying, you know, the impact uh, on mentally ill people, if you remove them from where they're living, is devastating. Hello. I mean, first we have to figure out why people are getting stabbed and pushed into the in front of train cars in the subway by people who obviously are crazy. And what's the first thing you see all over the cover of the papers the next morning? Oh, the family always knew, right? The family always knew that this was going to happen. You're not doing any of these people a favor by allowing them to potentially hurt others or themselves living in a place that they have no wherewithal to take care of themselves. And, that, and also sleeping on the street over time it degrades your, your, your mental abilities because you, you, can, if you might sleep two, three hours. I talked to this guy who runs City Relief, the other, uh, Josh Haken, a, a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, what happens to your mental capacity when you sleep on the street is it, it just wears you down over time. And your, any mental issues are going to become bigger right. in that environment. Yeah, and meanwhile, nobody's Safety safe. Safety and shelter. Oh, they're working it out. Martha McCallum is going to be on at, at 3 o'clock today, right? I will the see you then, and yours. I'll see you on Outnumbered. Yes, uh, watch the story. Then watch her at noon. Watch her. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Robinson. Back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! Might have paid the price. And as the ball comes across, it's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. And, of course, that was the call last night, yesterday afternoon, but nighttime in Qatar uh, when the U.S. officially would go up one nothing in the 38th minute and hold on to win the game and advance uh, to the knockout round. It will be Saturday at 10 o'clock against the Netherlands. An extraordinary series of performances. His team has yielded just one goal and has yet to suffer a loss in a World Cup at a time of year like no other. It really at a time in which we've never really seen anything quite like this. A guy that's seen it all, played in it all, covered it all, and actually starred in the game for the U.S. national team. Uh, the premier analyst on Fox Sports, Alexi Lalas, joins us now from Qatar. Alexi, welcome back. Your thoughts when that ball went in in the 38th minute. Did you say to yourself, that will hold? Uh, I said, this is good, but uh, we got a whole second half, and uh, we knew that Iran was going to make some changes, and they did. Having said that, it was a, there was a sense of relief, and especially in that first half, the U.S. played really, really well. And then second half came, and yes, those changes happened, and it was just kind of hold on for dear life, bend but don't break. And ultimately, they did, um, but there were some nervy moments. There was. Uh, the second half was so dramatically different. It looked like, not, it wasn't to me, a defensive shell. It looked as almost like Ron wasn't really out there pumped up to play in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time, obviously, uh, you know, off the field and all the different talk and narratives out there. And for this Iranian team to face the United States, that's always going to be something bigger and something special. But 
I think ultimately there's only so much you can make up. And this U.S. team is just better than Iran. So I was concerned they wouldn't be able to match the motivation, wouldn't be able to match the energy. And that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing. The good thing is they came out, they did that, and immediately took control of the game. And also keep in mind the strategy involved where the U.S. had to win the game. Iran didn't have to win the game. So that puts the ball in the U.S.'s court. Uh, a whole lot more, but then they got the goal, and then obviously Iran has to attack. And then at halftime, they made uh, they made some changes. Christian Pulisic was wonderful in that moment, even though he went off hurt and basically gave his body for his country in that in, in that moment. He was really really good, and and uh, and I think was a huge part of the success in that first half. And then it was just about gutting it out in that second half. And you know some of the substitutes didn't quite work out great for Greg Berhalter, the head coach of this team, and uh, and the U.S. in the second half. But ultimately, like I said. They, they bent plenty, but they ultimately didn't break. They got the, uh, the goal that they need. They, they got the win that they needed, and they're going on. That's all that matters. It's true. But what about the subs in the second half? Were you surprised? Can you go over them? And were you, Which one surprised you? Uh, well, I mean, it didn't surprise me that Haji Wright got subbed in up top when Josh Sargent unfortunately went out with an injury. Uh, but the way that he played did surprise me, and it, it was not good. I mean, at the very least, you have to come in and run. And he looked like he had no idea exactly what he wanted to do. I did think the Walker Zimmerman one to shore up the defense really helped. And if you look at the stats, ultimately, he cleared a lot of balls in a very short period of time as Iran was just lumping those balls into the box, which is his forte. That was, uh, that was good. Brendan Aronson came in for the injured uh, uh, Christian Pulisic and didn't have a whole lot to say in terms of the proceedings there, but it, there was some nervy moments. I'm, I'm telling you. And the interesting thing about this team, if you've watched this team through this tournament is I mean, a lot of good halves and ultimately Greg Berhalter has this team undefeated in group play with two shutouts. The only goal that they've let in has been off a, uh, off a penalty. So all in all, I give them a B plus for the group stage, but we have been to world cups. We have gotten out of groups before. And so I think that there's a, a higher expectation, which is I think right and fair to do with this team. And you know, this Netherlands game is going to be difficult, but they're also the U S is going to be in this kind of wonderful, comfortable underdog role, which traditionally we thrive in. Here's what a Burhalter said after the game cut 19. It was a difficult proposition, I think, knowing that um, you know Iran could potentially just need a tie to go through. So that that made the game a little bit complicated. But um, you know what I saw from the group was tremendous amount of focus, especially um, you know leading into the game. You can tell they're locked in. I think we had a great start to the game, great first half, um, and you know, and then the end of the game. Is, is really what I'm most proud of because it's the mark of um, determination and extreme amount of effort and resiliency to, to hang in there and, um, and get right. the win, not buckle. That is true. They did clear one off the line, and there was some controversy with one. They said it was a handball, but it clearly wasn't, but it was close. So they had to review it on video. What about the fact that they rotated center backs? Lexi, you know what it's like to start usually. Yep. Uh, to start usually yep. and, and all of a sudden find out you're not in the lineup, but yet he did come off the bench and play well. Yeah, I mean, so Cameron Carter-Vickers came in next to Tim Ream. And by the way, Tim Ream has been a kind of a revelation. It's not like we don't know about him, but he was really kind of out of the picture. And he's come in, started and played every single minute and been really wonderful on that left-hand side of defense. And we saw him with Walker Zimmerman. And keep in mind that Walker Zimmerman was the player that took uh, that uh, caused the penalty in that first game against Wales and ultimately kind of lost some points there. But he came back in the second game. So it was a kind of a surprise that Cameron Carter-Vickers came in. But I thought that both of them did well. And it gives Greg Berhalter some things 
out here for this game against uh, against the Dutch as to who is going to be in that center back position. Because usually you don't really change center back yeah. unless there's an injury or just the person is just playing so horribly that you got to make a change, which isn't the case at all uh, uh, from Walker Zimmerman's perspective. But you know, th- I think it points out that there is a there is a lot of talent and a depth of talent with this team. And we heard Matt Turner, the goalkeeper after the game say look next man up that we have plenty of players that are co- going to come in when he was talking about obviously the loss of christian pulisic and uh and josh Sargent. who knows they may be back uh on saturday but there is plenty of talent there waiting in the wings to mm. come in on what is going to be a very very important game by the way did you see all the uh uh the kids at school watching the game we, it's amazing to see some of these pictures because obviously this world cup is happening in november and it's unique in that kids are in school it was my my son was texting me from school where he was he and his friends are uh, we're watching so shout out to all the teachers out there that allowed their classrooms and their teacher uh, and their Alexis yeah we we lost you a little on that last one but that is awesome I did see some of those pictures I think it's great uh because he never had one in November a couple of things how is the health Josh Sargent looked unbelievable uh so effective the redhead and then you have uh Pulsic so what could you tell us about the status right now and here we are Wednesday you got two days to heal Right. Well, we don't have any status yet on uh, on Josh Sargent. And to your point, I thought he was really, really good. And, it, you know, it, it warms the cockles of my redhead. It's hard to see another redhead representing the United States out there. And this is a, a position in the number nine position, that striker position, that really nobody has filled when it comes to the void. So it's good to see someone step up and actually have a really good game up there. Unfortunately, he got injured. We don't know if he's going to be available on Saturday. The Christian Pulisic thing, he should be available. He, you know, he gave the thumbs up from the uh, hospital room. And then he actually beat the team home. Uh, after going to the hospital and met them at the hotel and he was taking pictures and screaming and yelling and uh, he, he looked to be good, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, he took, he took a big blow down there. <laughs> and so I think, I think he's going to be okay, but uh, no, nobody's going to keep him out if he can go. And, and, and he's so important in terms of not just the goals that he scores, but the way he puts defenses under pressure the game plan for Christian Pulisic on that left-hand side. Yeah, uh, Bruce Pelvis and abdomen. Uh, we're talking to Alexi Lalas. Alexi, uh, the Netherlands, for the longest time, there was one of those powerhouses that the U.S. couldn't touch, would look to hold on. Some have speculated after their tie with Ecuador that that's showing we could play with Ecuador and beat Ecuador on any given day. That shows that we could play with them. But when you look at it in paper, what do you think? What, what does this Netherlands team bring to the table after their, th- after their group play? Look, on paper, uh, it's a better team than the U.S. Uh, in terms of the pedigree, certainly, and, and the history. But that doesn't play for you. This particular Dutch team, I actually had you know, high hopes for coming into this tournament. To a, to a certain extent, they have lived up to it, albeit you know, they're coming from a, a kind of a weaker group. So it's probably not fair to judge them. We will have our hands full. This is a team that's not going to certainly fear the U.S. This is a team that is going to look to uh, you know, uh, impose themselves on the U.S. But I also think that this is certainly a winnable game from the U.S. You're going to need, obviously, to play a very good game. You'd have to be very smart. The substitutions are going to make uh, are going to have to be better. The set pieces, which have been horrible, let's be honest, throughout this tournament, are going to have to be better. And, yes, you're going to have to get a little help from the soccer gods, but everybody is going to have to get a little help at, at, at a certain point, regardless of how good you are. But this is not a, a team on the level of Brazil or France right now that the U.S. is facing uh, relative to ne- the Netherlands. So there is a step down. That's interesting because also, you know, since they lost to Trinidad, the pressure's been on this team to get back 
And then once they got back yeah. to get through, and they get back, and they get through, and now they're going to play the Netherlands where not many people on paper would say the U.S. is expected to win that no international soccer like you do. But already the subplots are happening in a way I didn't think. In 98, when you guys played Iran, uh, we were enemies. We've been enemies since 79, but not like this. And now we find out the Iranian team, their own welfare and their families could be in danger because they're protesting with the protesters by not singing the national anthem. And then they get a hostile press conference from the press to our guys. I want you to relive this moment where Tim Adams gets this question. First of all, you say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all... um, Are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, Yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. In the U.S., we're we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. As long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. And he talked about his his background with whites, blacks, and how he grew up in different neighborhoods at different times. I thought it was just a brilliant answer. And, of course, it's Tyler Adams, thinking Tim Weah. Uh, so your thoughts about that? I mean, look, <laughs> Tyler Adams is a much better man than I. <laughs> in that moment, I don't think that I would have had that type of composure and that type of maturity and, that, and to be able to articulate it in the way that he did. And that's why he is the captain. That's why he is a player to watch on and off the field. Uh, you know, that. listen, this is a World Cup, and therefore there are all the different narratives and all the different dynamics that are working, all that different history between countries and cultures. And you knew that that was going to, uh, that was going to play out. So I think he had an idea that he would probably be asking questions unlike anything that has come before from a soccer perspective. But ultimately, all that matters, Brian, is the U.S. one. And for me, an old guy that's been around for a while, I remember back in the 90s, in 1998, when the U.S. played against Iran in the World Cup, and we didn't understand how much the motivating force was behind this relationship. And yes, a contentious relationship between our, our two countries historically, how much that fueled that Iran team. And so matching that energy and matching that desire and passion was the first order of business. And Greg Berhalter got it right. He referenced that game in 98, and he made sure that his guys were ready. And all the other stuff that came off the field with the press and the different questions that they had and all the other stories out there that got that got thrown away and ultimately the better soccer team won it's not going to change anything with regards to the relationship it's also not going to change anything with regards to the support that americans and this american team have for the people that are being oppressed for the problems out there when it comes to uh, whether it's iran or any or, or any place else but these are all part of the things that happen in a world cup as we know you have to go back to your broadcasting job and watch the second half of France-Tunisia. Thanks for the moment. I always appreciate talking to you, Alexi. Great work. All right, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. See you. All right, Alexi Lawless from Qatar. Uh, back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I told my daughter, Sadie and Sonny, who were 16 and 14, I didn't write a speech. And they said uh, phrases like rude and you're mean. I said, well, daddy's tired. You know, daddy works hard. Calm down. They were like, can we write your speech, daddy? 
so you got something to say? I said, absolutely. It'd be nice to see you do something other than watch uh, YouTube or go to Lululemon every weekend. They said, all right, we'll write the speech. Will you do the, do the speech in that uh, goofy southern accent you always do all your dumb speeches in? I said, uh, whatever, we'll give it a shot. So, all right, my daughters wrote this. Thank you for giving our daddy, Mr. Adam Sandler, this prestigious lifetime, all-time, primetime goat achievement tribute award, or whatever this frankly disturbing object is supposed to represent. It means a lot to him, seeing as most of the awards on his trophy, trophy shelf are shaped like popcorn buckets, blimps, or fake mini-Oscars that say Father of the Year, <laughs> which he sadly purchased himself <laughs> while wandering in a self-pitying fog through the head shops of Times Square. So, do you th- th- so that was the Gotham. What are the Gotham Awards? I'm actually not quite sure. Right. I, could, I could look that up for you. But he gave the speech, and I guess, you know, he didn't write one, so his daughter's wrote one for it's him. hysterical. It's good. Um, he definitely drops F-bombs more than I was expecting. Right. A lot of bleeps. I mean, it sounds, looks, sounds, I just don't know, mm-hmm. like he had a few drinks. I mean, probably, given it's the Gotham Awards, of which we don't know what they are. <laughs> so. Right. I, I just remember that he was so into getting an award and getting a prestigious, like, acting award for that one. Oh, the basketball movie or, no, or the gambling the, movie? The gambling movie. Yeah. That one, which was... I could appreciate his acting, but it was just so stressful mm-hmm. that it wasn't rewarding. Gotcha. I, and especially didn't end well. He, I mean, the, the speech is six minutes long. So if you do love Adam Sandler, you should go because it's funny, right? He's laughing at what his daughters wrote because it's like he actually didn't read it before he read it there. So they do poke fun at the different roles he's taken, um, the dramatic one included. Yeah, my, um, my son went, came back from, uh, from school just to meet his friends and go to see Adam Sandler at the UBS Arena. And he said it was unbelievable. So he's selling out 18,000, 20, maybe, maybe it's about 18,000 seat arenas. That yeah. is incredible to just me. With and the Rob Snyder, yeah, and yeah, and Rob Snyder opened up for him just okay. with stand up. And I guess he's got his guitar with him. So he's still, I and mean, whatever he's doing, it's, it seems to be working uh, because everything he does seems to be a hit with that whole generation. My thing is, some of the, some of the scripts seem to come together in a matter of minutes. And I always think, He's got that 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 rare uh, humanity. He's got a human side to him that you want to like him. But then he's got the funny side. But he's not endlessly handsome. Let's say like Eric or uh, Kevin Costner. True. But you also love how he always has his friends with him, right? The loyalty aspect of him too. <laughs> that is good. That is good. He says that they uh, remember Rob Schneider told us why. He said that he. I don't know. Did he say this on camera? I'm not sure. He says it because he knows. He goes. They. He likes us around. Because he knows we know exactly what he needs and what he wants. He doesn't have to worry about us. And when things go wrong, he will. He really gets so disappointed in us that he will not have to say anything. And we know now we're time we have to get together and kind of save this scene and save different things. Is that why you keep Rick and Pat around? I'm, Rick and Pat, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, because nothing. I wouldn't because nothing ever goes wrong with me. That's true. But Never. keep in mind. Uh, keep in mind. Just back rows are left now. At Friday night's event at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center over in Newark, New Jersey. So that's where Pat's going to be doing about 15, 20 minutes. Rick opens up. Uh, we're going to have special appearances from Carly Shimkus, who just found out what she's going to be doing. And, and it seems to embrace her role. And then Pete Hegseth. We had a big Zoom call the other night. And Rachel Campos Duffy, I have not briefed her yet on what she's doing. She'll so be great. I have to, yeah. I have to remind me to text her. It's true. But, it, but it's very exciting.
And for people who don't know, Rick and Pat, you've known since grade school and high school. Right. Uh, the Rick Thatcher and uh, Pat O'Rourke. Uh, they're going to be up there on stage. It's going to be America Great from the start. So it's going to be live on stage. It's going to be streamed on Fox Nation at 8.30 at night. And it's a lot is going to be inscripted, but it's all based on fact. So I have my five history books, uh, also some biographical, biography information, motivational, inspirational, patriotic. And most of all, it's going to be fun. Uh, and we take questions at the end and be able to sign the president and freedom fighter, which is now on the bestseller list for the fourth straight week. Uh, which has brand new information in it as it relates to Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and their battle to save America's soul. Keep in mind, too, you can get the podcast anytime. Just go to briankillmeachow.com or wherever you get podcasts. Don't move, Brian Kilmichow. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th of Midtown Manhattan, where we have our Christmas tree up. And across the street, Rockefeller Plaza will put theirs up to later on tonight. They'll keep, uh, I guess, Al Roker up extra six hours and then let him bike home. Uh, he chooses to do that. I'm sure he could get a, a, a car deal. We'll have more on that later. Susan Lee's going to be with us. Uh, and Ben Dominich all this hour. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's Ben for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! It's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. There you go. The U.S. ascends to the knockout round after a grinding one nothing victory over Iran. What are their chances against the Netherlands Saturday at 10 o'clock? And why is this more than just a game? I'll explain. Number two. TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That means not only can they track your location, collect your keystrokes, but they could also censor your news. It's digital fentanyl in the sense that it's highly addictive. Uh, it's also, therefore, deadly. Yes, big tech, big problems. Elon Musk drawing more attention from the White House as he replatforms suspended accounts and vows an investigation into the Hunter story. Plus, TikTok, it's time to rip it out of this country before it's too late. Number one. Earlier this month, Apple did the bidding of the Chinese government to crush domestic protests. Apple did this by disabling its permanent airdrop feature in China. Apple is now an active collaborator with China's murderous police state. Massive crackdown expected in China as protesters remain on the streets and the Biden administration looks away. And Apple actually turns on the Chinese people. I'll explain. But I don't think I necessarily have to to my next guest, Ben Dominich, editor-at-large for The Spectator, Fox News contributor. Ben, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you as always, Brian. And and no, you don't need to explain it to me. I mean, the, the thing that uh, I would uh, remind people when they look at these images that are coming out, uh, of these Chinese-based protests against the COVID lockdowns and their ridiculous and uh, Orwellian zero-COVID policy, is that when you see these people on the streets, they are representative of a much larger group of people who are not able or willing to risk their lives to go into those streets. Uh, it's what I saw when I was in Hong Kong uh, back in 2019. Uh, essentially, you have a protester uh, you know, who's on the street, and they represent you know, potentially 100 people. 
who wish that they could be there but are unwilling to risk their lives, risk their futures, risk the safety of their families in order to be there. So when you see protests of this size, just understand this is representative of a much larger feeling within the Chinese population. And unfortunately, Brian, I think that the Chinese government is going to crack down in ways that is going to be uh, murderous, is going to be uh, ruinous to the people who are out there expressing their frustration uh, and their unwillingness to bend the knee to these ridiculous policies. Uh, and so it's it's a very sad scene to see, but it's also, I think, a sign of how brittle this actual regime really is. Maybe. I hope so. Uh, in major cities on Monday and Tuesday, police flooded the sites of the protest, took over the uh, took over major uh, uh, areas in which they were gathered. Uh, they vet, uh, they vented their anger over the country's zero COVID policies while using shields. A lot of them got beaten uh, to the ground. You see a lot of this video online. But some uh, some glimmer of hope, perhaps, or international pressure, uh, maybe. China has lifted COVID restrictions on some major, they say, uh, provinces, including Guangzhou, Guangzhou, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it, or at least I got close, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they say no more mandatory testing in the area. But the U.S. cannot be given credit for this because we barely said anything. No, we we gave the most uh, mealy-mouthed answer to this, and and even John Kirby, who I think of as being a smarter guy than this, gave a terrible answer when he was asked about this at the the press podium the other day. Uh, This is the thing that I think is is so pathetic about this administration. They have continually uh, bowed to the regime in China in ways that I think is not just unnecessary, but is inappropriate and unseemly. It's embarrassing. We ought to be standing up to them. We ought to be taking them on, and we ought to be calling out what they're doing in vociferous ways. Instead, I feel like this is a White House and an administration that wants to do everything possible to make China as comfortable as possible. Uh, And that's not the way that we ought to be approaching this problem. Yeah, I mean, it's just thing is, well, we're not going to get involved militarily. We're not going to threaten them. But let everybody know we hear their voice and we understand they're yearning for liberty and talk about the need to treat people with respect. And this is what Justin Trudeau, who I think is a despicable human being, said this. (laughs) We're going to continue to ensure that China knows we'll stand up for human rights. We'll stand with the people who are expressing themselves. We'll also need to make sure that China and places around the world are respecting journalists and their ability to do their job. How hard is that for Joe Biden to say? You know, here's the thing. Trudeau, and I agree with you, he's a despicable human being, but Trudeau is also beholden to China to a much greater degree than America is. China is a huge investor in Canada in, in ways that go you know, far beyond uh, the percentage of their investment uh, in America, even though that's significant as well. And so for Trudeau to be able to say something as basic as that, it's, it's just, you know, are we going to take any kind of stand on this? And just to you know, send a message to the Chinese, hey, we're paying attention, and if you disappear all these people, that's going to be a problem for us, is, is something that I think the White House should be saying and saying vociferously and repeatedly. And, and look, we all know the frustrations that we had here at home. When it came to lockdowns, we all know the ridiculousness of Gretchen Whitmer saying you can't buy seeds. We all know the ridiculousness of schools shutting down, setting you know students back you know uh, by years in terms of their progress. That pales in comparison to being welded into your building by the Chinese Communist Party. That's what these Chinese people are experiencing. It's what they're revolting against, and we need to make clear that they're we're not going to just stand by and say. 
hey, it's okay if you just get rid of this problem the way that so many uh, Chinese governments have in the past by disappearing all the people who you find to be inconvenient. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And, you know, people are looking at Justin Trudeau and they you know, they know how he's was just berated by President Xi, too. And they, he was unmasked. They came and blistered us, and they say, well, the American people deserve better, if I could just paraphrase, uh, than 2 million people dying, and there's so many shootings in the streets, and how many fentanyl deaths. They have, the, they have the audacity to talk about fentanyl deaths in America when they manufacture the fentanyl that's killing Americans. So if you <laughs> thought by saying nothing that China would appreciate it, you're wrong. So why don't we make the adjustment? China is precipitating a, uh, a policy that is designed to encourage the deaths of Americans through their fueling of the fentanyl trade across the southern border. We all know this. It's one of the biggest uh, stories, I think, of the past decade in terms of the influence that they've had. And yet, for some reason, this is something that politicians are scared to talk about, scared to push back against, scared to you know put out there because of you know Chinese investments in their districts, Chinese investments in their states. And this is the sort of thing that I think you know that you know obviously Donald Trump blew that up when he was uh, you know a candidate for the presidency. It's one of the things that I hope is inherited by other voices within the Republican Party. Um, but also in the Democratic Party as well. This is a, a we regime unite that is on poisoning this. the American people. We could and unite have on to this. be willing to take it on. And the Democrats don't really bring up fentanyl for some weird reason. Uh, mm-hmm. This is exactly what the Chinese said. The price of freedom in the U.S., 1 million COVID deaths, 40,000 gun deaths, 107,000 fentanyl deaths in 2021 alone, which is unbelievable. They are responsible for it. The American people deserve better for uh, deserve far better than that. What we want is to protect our people's lives and ensure them a better life. Right. By sealing them in, welding them into their apartments and letting them burn alive. That is a great – by stealing – taking their two-year-old children and putting them into damp locker rooms away from their families because they test positive for COVID. And by the way, I don't want to distract them, but they started this. They gave the world this virus that killed millions, and they want to glaze over that. So Apple is helping the protesters in a way that now allowing the airdrops to take place and communications to happen without being traced. Apple reversed their technology on this and took a step back in layman's terms. David Sachs, who helped create, a, create PayPal and knows all these guys personally, said this last night to Tucker Cut3. You know, what Apple is doing in China is not that different from what Apple is doing in the U.S. They are willing to engage in censorship on a global basis on behalf of their true paymasters. And by paymasters, I don't mean consumers. Apple has them completely locked up. What I mean is the party in power, whether that's in Beijing or Washington. This is the quid pro quo that uh, MAGA Democrats have made. Of course, by MAGA Democrats, I'm referring to Microsoft, Apple, Google and Amazon. Uh, They have the most lucrative monopolies in history and want to continue minting money undisturbed. And in exchange for that, they will donate lavishly to the Democratic Party. And they're willing to kneecap their political opponents with censorship if that's what the party in power requires. Is it? I think that's a very accurate description. That's that's, uh, you know, I hadn't heard that cut before. And that is as perfect of a description of what's going on as I've heard. The, the fact is that these are companies that have stopped being interested in being American companies. They are interested in being uh, companies of the world, of the globe, uh, you know, that have no home and are, are not at all interested in American values, uh, which they find frequently very inconvenient and troublesome. The values of free speech being 
being you know uh, prominent among that, but also of course the values of freedom of religion, of freedom of the press, of freedom of individual liberty. These are all things that they are opposed to, and they are turning that opposition into their policies every day right in front of our eyes. And so my my response to that is not to say necessarily that you need to you know burn these companies down or pretend like we haven't enjoyed the products that they've made. But what I do think we can turn around and say is you don't get to enjoy the benefits of the government that you are opposed to of the people and by the people if you're going to continue to engage in this behavior that sets you at odds with basic American constitutional values. And to me, that's the, the kind of thing, the kind of approach that ought to actually have bipartisan support, because what we understand, there's enough Democrats, I think, in this country who do understand fundamentally that these are not companies that are, are actually in the long term going to benefit their values either. They will just exchange things back and forth based on the party that's in charge, and they will uh, you know, essentially uh, cast aside any values that they view as inconvenient uh, to their continued power. And that's something that is not just un-American, Brian. Right. It's something that is you know, fundamentally a disturbing outcome of this capitalist system that we've had here that has basically said, we always encourage business. We're in favor of business. We're in favor of capitalism and entrepreneurialism. I'm in favor of all of those things. They've benefited us greatly. But at some point, these companies decided that it was in their interest to turn that value system on its head, to turn against the very thing that allowed them to uh, be created and thrive. And that's something that sets them at odds with the American people and basic American values. So you know about this rail strike. They're not using the uh... – the, the president's not using the powers that he has. He wants Congress to use their powers to force the rail workers to work without a contract, so without an agreement, because it's in their best interest. But he wants Congress to do it. So right now we understand Congress, I guess Nancy Pelosi has said yes. She quickly put a, uh, a bill on the floor to see if her party would sign off on it, forcing these blue-collar union workers back to work without a contract and without what they claim is sufficient amount of sick days. What's your reaction to... Uh, to blue collar Joe punting. <laughs> I mean, he, it's just this is such a an example of how much this presidency is a fraud. I mean, this is so this is so at odds with uh, you know the the whole approach that he's had, uh, and you know his unwillingness to engage in any kind of of uh, you know a potentially politically risky maneuver here uh, in order to, to force this thing forward uh, is just you know par for the course when it comes to this White House. Look, I think that deal was in their favor. I think it was something that that. The, you know, union workers ought to have signed off on. You know, I've looked at the I've looked at the top lines of it, and it, it seemed to be reasonable to me. But this is another example of this is a White House that doesn't actually want to take any political risks. All they're interested in, you know, Brian, is spending your money and spending it in in ways that are awfully uh, you know ridiculous, ineffective, uh, not going to change things. But they are spending it repeatedly, vociferously, over and over and over again, uh, and you know, just dooming future. Uh, generations to have to pay the price for all of it. Yeah, I guess we'll see. But it looks like he's running again. Real quick, Axios has this story that they're moving ahead with Joe Biden running in 2024. He'll be 82 years old, 86 by the time he's done. And they're going to make him like a statesman. They're not going to ask him to go to all these states. Most of his fundraisers will be in Delaware. They'll have his surrogates out there doing the work. And just by governing, he'll tell his story. How does that look like for a game plan? 
Well, we're going all the way back to, to uh, 1920 when Warren Harding uh, was sitting on his front porch and had a front porch campaign where everybody had to come to him. Apparently, that's the way of the future. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, Brian. We are dealing with such octogenarian uh, and, and ridiculously out-of-touch people in our leadership class at this point. We have to have a generational change. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I keep stressing this. And I want to I stress again because I do have people come up to me on the street and say that I harp on it a bit too much on Fox and on and on your show. Uh, but th- the fact that we have this age range within our leadership class has to change. And it's not any kind of opposition to my grandmother. She's a wonderful, sweet old lady, but she's uh, in Florida living out her retirement, uh, you know, in, in great style. And that's where all of these politicians deserve to be. Right. I tell you, your father-in-law, though, did have the energy and David Letterman can make all the jokes he wanted, but no one thought that he was too old for the job. He just no, he no, had no, such it, it, vigor. It, 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 I mean, come on, you know, Newt, Newt could be president tomorrow. You know, and, and so you know, it's not just an age thing; it's how uh, it's how you wear it. And I think, unfortunately, Joe Biden wears it very heavily, uh, and it's and it's apparent that he's not going to be able to, you know, even you know, uh, have the ability to travel, you know, which is I think something that you need to be able to have in order to be the commander in chief. Maybe I'm old fashioned that way. Ben Dominich, <laughs> always insightful and interesting. Go get him. Thank you, sir. All right. When we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We're not going to put uh, our words into their mouths. I mean, they, they are speaking for themselves. Uh, they are out in the streets. Uh, they, are, uh, they are braving the elements to, to make clear uh, what, their, uh, what their views are. So they are speaking for themselves. And we stand up for the right of every citizen around the world to be able to speak up freely and sure. peacefully for what, for what they believe in. That, that's what I was talking about. It's not about mm-hmm. us inserting you know, right. our language or our rhetoric into, into what they want to talk about. Uh, that is Admiral Kirby, Press Secretary, filler in, Mr. Everything, to answer questions on policies that are indefensible. And that's not speaking up for the people who are protesting in Iran, in this case, China. And he says we are speaking up, but they're not. The president hasn't said a word about it. Gerard, and that was from an interview we did on Fox & Friends in Gainesville. Hey, Gerard, listening on WSKY. Appreciate it. Hey, good morning, Brian. I believe uh, economics is driving our political foreign policy. And the reason why the Biden administration is not being bold as Reagan was at the Brandenburg Gate is because they own a lot of our debt. They have a lot of our critical uh, production, such as pharmaceuticals and all the other supply chain issues, that he's afraid that if he acts boldly, it's going to push us into a further recession. And that's why he's being, in my opinion, so very meek or you know, non non uh, you know, not discussing China because our economy is tied inextricably into the, into theirs, and they're leveraging uh, their economic power on our political foreign policy. I hope not. I hope you're wrong, but it's hard to argue with you uh, until we have exposing for everyone's commitment. Everyone seems to have sold their soul for huge profits in China, but sooner or later, it's going to be: Are you uh, are you for the America? Or are you for China? That's what it's going to come down to. Not Republican or Democrat. It's the one thing that could unite people to show some integrity.
radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, it's digital fentanyl in the sense that it's highly addictive. Uh, it's also, therefore, deadly. For all the reasons you laid out in your uh, monologue, uh, our, our youth are at risk of increased isolation, suicide, depression, anxiety. Those numbers are through the roof. And finally, uh, like fentanyl, the precursors date back to China, right? Uh, TikTok is owned by ByteDance. ByteDance is effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. That means not only can they track your location, collect your keystrokes, but they could also censor your news. And increasingly, people use TikTok as a news source. Mike Alger, former Marine, now intelligence uh, on the Intelligence Committee, now in the House, soon to be in the majority, talking about the need to get rid of TikTok. It's a joke that we're leaving it on. It's a joke that the Democratic Party used it because it's got great coverage and penetration and young people listen to it and you could get votes. But for the most part, at what point do you say it's not about votes? It is about the integrity of the country, the security of the country. What would it mean for a bite dance to, to bite the dust, so to speak? Um, I was Mike Gallagher weighing in last night, but he's not the only one who is uh, bringing this up. Other people bringing up that it's got to go. Tristan Harris talked about what China actually does with TikTok as opposed to what we have in our version of TikTok, which they're in charge of both. Listen to Tristan Harris, co-founder and executive director for the Center for Human Technology. Uh, he was also featured in The Social Dilemma, Cut 16. In their version of TikTok, if you're under 14 years old, they show you science experiments you can do at home, museum exhibits, patriotism videos, and educational videos. And they also limit it to only 40 minutes per day. Now, they don't ship that version of TikTok to the rest of the world. So it's almost like they recognize that Technology is influencing kids' development, and they make their domestic version a spinach version of TikTok while they ship the opium version to the rest of the world. The version served to the West has kids hooked for hours at a time. The impact, Harris says, is predictable. There's a survey of preteens in the U.S. and China asking what is the most aspirational career that you want to have. In the U.S., the number one was influencer. Social media influencer. And in China, the number one was astronaut. Again, you allow those two societies <laughs> to play out for a few generations, I can tell you what your world is going to look like. Yeah, Tristan Harris on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago, but now TikTok back in the news and China always in the news. Uh, how do you feel about that? Uh, let's bring in uh, Susan Lee, who is kind enough to visit. Hey, Brian. Great so to see you. I wish I had, um, I guess, this type of access to education when I was growing up. Social media that only shows you how to perform in science, technology, <laughs> and coding. Yeah, it's amazing, though, too. They came up with it. It totally hooked America in. They own the – nobody – if you talk to any young person like yourself, they will not <laughs> say, oh, I'll do Instagram or Snapchat. It doesn't matter, TikTok. The TikTok's winning right now with the whole younger generation. If you tell them it's gone, they're going to be upset. Not that that should matter because this is – you think it's national security interest. Yeah, but not only do they limit TikTok in China, you know, they also limit the number of gaming hours that you spend on the Xbox, playing your video games. Will it just shut off? I mean, <laughs> Well, I, I think they're – so I think they limit in terms of how much – yeah, yeah. I, well, I don't know the specifics of it. I just know that uh, the gaming companies took a big hit when the Chinese government says, okay, we, you can only allow your gamers to play an hour a week, which is nothing, you know, for young kids. But, uh, yeah, there is an, an emphasis on education. And did you see the number of actual technology and coding graduates in China compared no. here to the U.S.? I think it's about four or five times 
what we're turning out in in technology uh, industries here. So that's that's a big deal. In our schools or their schools? Their are they schools using are, our schools? No, they, well, yeah. that too. But also the, the, the number of graduates in those high-tech fields outnumber the U.S. by almost four or five times each and every year. And that's a problem if you want if you want to seed leadership of these high-tech, whether it's programming, whether it's artificial intelligence to another country. How big a deal, uh, Susan, as you look at what it means to the economy, how big a deal is this rail strike and that the legislation they're trying to get through right now in Washington that would make the rail workers go back to work? Yeah, and I thought it was well, stay at work. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but also I thought this was a, was a union president. So is he going against the unions in this case? But he's willing to, you know, I guess uh, pat the back of unions that work at General Motors and Ford and elsewhere. You know, if Taft Hartley gives him the ability to force any union back to work, but he's telling Congress, "You do it," because I guess he doesn't want his fingers, his his hands, his fingerprints on this move. Yeah, well, it, w- it would be a big deal, I think, especially. Just before Christmas, as you know, a lot of goods ship before the holidays, although I think most of the goods are already in inventory and stock. So it's not going to be a problem if you want to go buy me an Xbox or a PS5 or whatever. You know, I would love that, Brian, by the way. Um, but I look, in terms of moving people, especially when you right. have a 50 million Americans going to travel for the holidays, I think that might be an issue. I just think it's unbelievable, too, that didn't the president take a bow about this two months ago? Well... Well, I think he's taken a bow on a lot of things right. as well. He says a lot of things that he did with his programs are yet to be experienced because they're supposed to develop later on. What do you think he's referring to? You mean like a long-term perspective, a five, plan, ten-year yeah. plans? I thought only the infrastructure. The, I thought only the Chinese government had these fifty-year plans yeah. in place, not for those at the run every four years. Uh, well, look, I think the the economy. Obviously, we are in a slowdown, even though the recent GDP came out better than expected. Which was that? Well, I think it was two point nine percent instead of two point six, and in Wall Street terms, that's a little bit better than expected. Even the though good minimally. Black Friday, good Black Friday, so fantastic good. Black Friday. And Cyber Monday. I was really surprised by that. I think Wall Street was as well. So you had record-breaking numbers. That means Americans are still spending. The jobs numbers, the number of job openings still at over 10 million this morning. Mortgage rates are coming down, but not many people are, are buying homes these days when you're paying 6 7% in mortgage rates. But I would say the, the economy is holding up better than expected. But I think there's a jobs lag. Did you see the, uh, the private payrolls report this morning? No. That came out a, a lot less than anticipated. So there's a catch-up. And there's a problem when you have these six-figure salaries, by the way, being cut instead. So that means that there isn't going to be that much spending in the economy. And as you know, the U.S. is powered 70 percent by the consumer. So we have unemployment at 3 percent or roughly around 4 percent. Three and a half. Yeah, we have 10 million open jobs. Yes. So we have a sense of what those jobs are. We have a sense that those six-figure salaries in Silicon Valley are being cut very quickly. You just heard DoorDash today saying they're cutting 1,200 jobs. By the way, a a headline just crossed that CNN's boss has just emailed a company-wide memo saying that Job cuts and layoffs are starting already just before Christmas. And so, you've, yeah, yesterday, AMC Networks, I mean, it's a challenge environment. Even AMC Networks, as you know, Walking Dead, Mad Men, they're cutting 20% of their staff. And their CEO, who's only in place for three months, has just quit or has left her job as CEO. So what do you uh, deal with uh, with Apple right now in their mini battle? They were at Capitol Hill with Daryl Issa and Jim Jordan trying to qualify. Cornyn as well, I believe. Uh, and, and Senator Cornyn, too? Yeah. 
And they, they're meeting about what's going on, for example, with Twitter. Are you really going to kick them out of the app store because of things that you perceive you don't like? And what about your, compl- your complicity reportedly with the Chinese government when it comes to uh, these uh, airdrops uh, that would help protesters communicate with each other? Yeah. How serious are these talks? Well, you mean with politicians, yeah. the reports that Tim Cook is reaching out to the GOP side, which is set to take over the House, I think, in the new year. So, you know, it was I, him reaching out. I believe so. I believe Apple, compared to other technology companies, they've done both sides of the aisle. There's been more direct communication. Have you heard of Google and Sundar Pichai reaching out to the GOP side? I haven't heard as much of the of the Republican outreach from Alphabet and other Silicon Valley giants. So I'm encouraged by this. Uh, I would say, have you ever tried AirDrop? Uh, you know, peer-to-peer, iPhone-to-iPhone over Bluetooth. That was something that was limited. I wouldn't say restricted, but limited in China. I mean, was it prominently used during protests? I would say somewhat. I wouldn't say that it was the primary use of communication. It's a way not to track people, right? But, when they pick up your phone yeah. and they say, okay, who have you been tracking? What apps do you have open? Uh, I've, seen that, I've seen that video of people just walking through subways and trains. Yeah. Uh, officials grabbing. I guess when you airdrop, it's hard to track. Right, because it's peer-to-peer and it's over Bluetooth instead. But, you know, the dominant software system used in China on smartphones is Android, not iOS. Is it really? Yeah, so 70% of the market in China are Android phones. So think of the Samsungs and the local handset makers. Do you think that there's going to be a real push for corporate America to begin to divest, seriously get up with a plan that's going to allow them to not upset shareholders where their mar- where their product suffers that much, but to divest massively from China. Well, you won't hear them say it, but I think that's already started, especially with disruptions, um, and not Apple specifically, but just others who have been moving a lot of their production elsewhere. Think of Nike; they don't make their shoes anymore in China. That's been moved to Vietnam and Indonesia and other low cost countries that don't have the these disruption problems and don't have the I would say political pressure that China comes with. Susan Lee, thanks so much. Thank you. When are we going to see on TV again? I don't know. When are we are you inviting me to your Christmas party? What do you think, Allison? Yes? Okay. I think it would be very valuable to have somebody there. Uh, of of <laughs> note of your of somebody there. Of your note and intellect. Wow. That would be unbelievable. I'll bring you, the sweet potato. All right, so we're gonna do this then, right? Yes. Eric, wait first I have to ask you, Eric, is it okay if Susan comes? What? Say no. Yes. Okay, I said yes. Okay, because Eric doesn't talk to me anymore. He's being such a snob. (laughs) Pete's not in. Pete would have. Pete is just. uh, He can't vote in absentia. We're doing (laughs) our voting. All right, we'll see. Guess I'm going to come up with a date. Okay. All right. right. Back in a moment with uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Don't move. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. Let's bring former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. It's always a pleasure to have him on. He's also CIA director, and he made it clear he's willing to debate the most dangerous person to America's America's future. Uh, The president of the teachers union, Randy Weingarten. And last week, we, we saw the spat between the two. And now this week, you amped it up with an editorial in the New York Post. Mr. Secretary, always great to uh, to talk to you. What prompted you to take it to this level? Uh, Brian, thanks for having me on. Look, uh, 
I spent four years working on problems uh, abroad, keeping Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, all these bad guys away from America, keeping us more safe and more prosperous. And as I, I watch American kids, particularly through our schools, I see they're not learning history, they're not learning civics, they're not learning the America is the most exceptional nation in history. And, and Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions are at the center of preventing that from happening. It is really dangerous. It's dangerous to families. It's dangerous to parents. But our kids are growing up in a way that if they don't respect and love America and its founding and its traditions, then no matter who the next secretary of state is or who the next CIA director is, uh, it won't matter because the republic will fall from within. And why do you think this comes from this biggest, the biggest teachers unions in the country? They say, and you have these stats, there's 70 countries, they rank them in terms of uh, the educational, uh, their educational ability. And you say, American students rank 35th in math, 16th in science, and 11th in reading behind China, Estonia, Poland, and Korea, obviously South Korea, and other nations. All of this at Wine Garden's watch. So what do you think is happening? They, they want to have the teachers' unions control the education of the children to, to indoctrinate them with a, a leftist ideology, and they don't want parents to have a say in what it is their kids are learning. Um, we've got to go back to the traditions where parents had a real role, where students had choice. Brian, you saw this during the lockdown. Kids went even further backwards. The article talks about the fact that even in our – even everywhere, and, and worst of all, in our inner cities, these kids lost a year and a half, two years of their education. To, to catch them up is really important. It's important for American security. It really matters to those kids and their families. So you also uh, point out, too, that one in three Americans could not pass the citizenship test, that we don't have a reverence for the Constitution or our founding fathers. And you think over the course of time this is more insidious than anything bin Laden or Iran or China could do. We can figure out how to protect America from our external foes. Right? We'll, we'll, we can figure out how to crush Chinese Communist Party. We can figure out how to counter terrorism around the world. But if our next generation, if the folks who are entering the workforce and folks who are populating our military as they grow up, if they have this central understanding that America is racist and they've read the 1619 Project more than the Declaration of Independence – and they don't understand these traditions, Brian. You, you can't get that back. Our, our founders knew this. Lincoln talked about reverence for our Constitution. If we if we lose that, if we lose this understanding of, of America, in spite of all its challenges, being the greatest nation in the history of civilization, we, we lose it, Brian. And, and that, is, that would be tragic for America for sure, but for the world who's counting on America to get this right. Mr. Secretary, why do you think someone would go out? We used to debate the math. How do you learn this new math? Uh, why are we learning? We used to talk about <laughs> methods. We didn't used to talk about curriculum and substance. You know, I understand people in Texas learn about Texas, uh, uh, Texas history more than they would in Virginia and New York. I get it. We should do that. I love that. But what happened? Have you figured it out? It, it's hard to explain, but you, you've watched really, frankly, since the 60s, Brian, You've watched the left infiltrate our schools and begin to take over. And you're right. The argument used to be a process. Do you want to do phonics, right? And, and now it's about substance. Do we, do we want to teach our kids about uh, there being an oppressor class? Like, no, I want them to have flashcards on multiplication, right? I, I don't want them to be working on gender identity. I want them to read the works of Shakespeare and great works of people who have thought hard about difficult problems and want to come to understand how to do these basic skills and be logical in their thinking. They'll form their own opinions about the world, left, right, but we need to teach them the foundational ideas 
And if we don't do that, Brian, I, I do. I, I worry that uh, the things that have made this country so exceptional, that have built this amazing military, that have built these technological advances here yeah. at home, uh, those things will be lost. So I've got to bring it to China. Um, right now, the crackdowns, we have not seen, you tell me if I'm wrong, you, you're the CIA guy, I have not seen this type of uprising, this pervasive 15 provinces since 1989. And now we see China back off a little on their testing and the, and their lockdowns. Where do you think this is heading? Yeah, Brian, look, in the, in the short term, it's probably going to be really hard for the Chinese people. But you can see what they're looking for. And you're right. You have that factually right. These protests are very different. It's also it's not just uh, the impoverished classes. These are middle class people stepping out and saying enough already of this crazy, uh, massive surveillance state and lockdowns. Um, so this is different. It's broader. I, I fear for what the Xi Jinping will do to his own people in the coming days and weeks and months. I, I pray that he will uh, back down in a way. Uh, and then ultimately, I hope we get a regime, that Chinese Communist Party regime, that changes fundamentally mm-hmm. and begins to give people the real freedoms that they're out in the streets just asking for. Mr. Secretary, we have not spoken out firmly in support of the Iranian protesters or the Chinese protesters, and we missed an opportunity a year ago in Cuba. Why? Uh, it's hard to explain, Brian. I, I don't know why. I would I would add to that list um, that we've now turned the spigots on in Venezuela, uh, put throwing the Venezuelan people to the uh, demands of Nicolas Maduro, who's an 14-time indicted drug kingpin. I mean, this, this is crazy stuff. This administration doesn't understand that these people simply want basic freedoms, and they seem fearful that they're going to upset some of these uh, tyrannical leaders. We had it right in the Trump administration. We always supported people's fight for freedom. Uh, Reagan did the same. America needs to get back to that same place. I wish the Biden administration would do that. There was a report by the DOD real quick that said that our, our pull out of Afghanistan was a propaganda boon for China. Do you see it that way? Uh, a propaganda boon for China, for the North Koreans. It told our friends and allies that we can't be trusted. It was a terrible day. Uh, we lost 13 Americans. It didn't have to happen, Brian. It was truly tragic. And the world sees us as weak as a result. And I think what you see in Ukraine, uh, is, if, if not directly related, is certainly Vladimir Putin was supported by what he saw happen there. He uh, directed the CIA, Secretary of State, uh, Mike Pompeo. Great column in today's New York Post. Brian, Thanks thank so much, Mr. Secretary. You bet. You Hold got on. it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.